Hey, I have a question for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, who are you? I am Adam McKay. I am a writer, director, uh, film guy. You're pretty famous. You've uh, been behind some big movies, Anchorman, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you are about to sort of take it to the next level. Yes, I'm doing a movie called The Big Short, uh, adaptation of a Michael Lewis book. That's not what I was talking about. Oh, oh, I know what you mean. Yes, uh, I met a young lady. We're very much in love. We're not that either. Not oh, 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 I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, I recently bought my first Ferrari, and it's a honey. Not that either. Oh, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Startup, the podcast about what it's really like to start a business. I'm Alex Bloomberg, and you're listening to the second episode of a very special mini-season devoted once again to our company, Gimlet Media. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to the episode that came directly before this, or you can check out Startup episodes 1 through 14, which were all about the founding of the company that is producing the podcast that you're listening to right now, Gimlet Media. Do I have to do this every time? Probably not. I'm stopping right here after this one. Anyway, when we left off... Last episode, my wife, Nazneen, had just started working here at Gimlet. And we are going to stay hanging on that cliff for another couple weeks. There will be much more about me and Nazneen coming in future episodes, I promise. But for now, I will reveal only these facts. As of this recording, she does still work at Gimlet, and we are still married. But on this episode, we're going to be talking about something else. Something that, frankly, I'm a little surprised we haven't discussed yet. What it is we actually do around here. I mean... Everyone knows we make podcasts. But for all the information we've revealed about ourselves over the last year, we haven't talked nearly at all about how we actually make our core product, podcasts, like the one you're listening to right now. And how we make our podcasts, it goes deep into the essence of who we are as a company. For those of you who listened to season one, you might remember this moment where big-time Silicon Valley investor Chris Saka stopped me in the middle of my pitch to him and asked me this question, what is my unfair advantage? What is the thing I am uniquely good at? Of course, this is a question that every business has to ask itself, from Toyota to MetLife to Google. And at the time, I didn't really have an answer. But now I do. Our unfair advantage, I think, is that we are uniquely good at making a particular kind of highly produced, obsessively crafted podcast. And the bet that we founded our company on is that we can grow a large, profitable business making podcasts like that. And today, we're going to tell you how we do it. We're going to break the cardinal rule of business, never reveal your secrets. We're going to go through the entire process we took to create Gimlet's newest podcast, the fourth podcast we've launched, a podcast hosted by writer, director, producer Adam McKay, and by my old partner in crime from Planet Money, my longtime colleague, Adam Davidson. And I'm okay letting the public in on this one because, frankly, I've spent my life learning how to do this, and I love it. I love talking about it. Also, I'm pretty sure that people are going to be less likely to want to compete with me once they see how hard and tedious this unfair advantage is to maintain. So I think the people want to know, you have a wealth of opportunities. You could, you could really pretty much choose anything. Um, why a podcast? My business manager told me I've got to start taking some losses. That No. Um, I Honestly, I really thought long and hard about it before I said yes to it. It all came out of Davidson and I just basically talking. 
Adam Davidson, thank you for coming in. Thank you, Alex. The idea for this podcast was born when Adam Davidson was hired to be a consultant for Adam McKay's new movie, The Big Short. The Big Short is an adaptation of the Michael Lewis book of the same name, and it's all about the financial crisis of 2008. Adam Davidson is a financial journalist. He and I started the Planet Money podcast together at NPR. He writes an economics column for the New York Times Magazine. And his job was to talk McKay through the seemingly boring financial arcana, mortgage derivatives, central bank monetary policy, interest rates that are central to the movie. And McKay, he ate those boring topics up. And we just started having these three, four-hour-long conversations that were fascinating and very exciting. So one day, I was just sitting with McKay, and I said, I mean, this must be something uttered by millions of people these days, and and seems like a terrible thing to advise other people to utter. Hey, when we talk, it's so interesting. This should be a podcast. (laughs) The idea for the podcast? Conversations about something you think would be boring, but that turn out to be fascinating to help you see the world as a more exciting and magical place. Now, this was back last winter, and I was, of course, really excited when Adam Davidson came to me with this idea. I know from my long years working with him that he's a one-of-a-kind talent. He speaks a bunch of languages, Hebrew, Arabic, Spanish. He's traveled everywhere. And he's the kind of guy that gets curious about something and then dives all in on it. Like, for example, the Amish. I remember working with him at Planet Money around the time he first got into learning about the Amish. First, there were books about the Amish, Then he was making visits to Amish country. At a certain point, he started showing up at work, trailed by women in bonnets and men with long beards and hats. He eventually started writing a finance column for an Amish newspaper. And Amish culture and society, that's just one of his pet passions. There's also the Middle East, the history of religion, fire ants. He's got this relentless curiosity and the energy to go wherever it takes him. And in McKay, he'd found a like mind. Aside from being a big-time writer, director, and producer of lots of hit movies, and aside from starting Funny or Die... McKay also has a seemingly infinite capacity to nerd out about stuff. And the two of them together are really funny. They can get off in these hilarious tangents. Like when we're all discussing names for this podcast, we're trying to come up with ones that made you want to click play, but also told you basically what the show was about. We had names like Awesome Boring, Get Smarter, The Fun Side, stuff like that. We could openly lie to our audience. We could call it like Hot Sex Chat. With Adam and Adam. <laughs> and then when they come on, go, we lied to you. Right. But listen, stay with us. <laughs> Another good name, too, that I would click on instantly would be um, True Shark Attack Stories. <laughs> I, I dare anyone to go by the podcast called True Shark Attack Stories and not click on one episode. Caitlin is nodding yes. I'm definitely Dan listening. Is, yeah. Do we call this show True Shark Attack Stories? <laughs> I really think we should. We could speak in accents, and my name could be True Shark. I am an Egyptian man. Like, we have names that sound. <laughs> Hello, I am a tax story. I am professor of uh, economics and econometrics at uh, Tel Aviv University. And this is um, True Shark attack stories. Uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, True. Uh, do- <laughs> Yes, let's get into it, uh, attack. So true, the topic is broccoli. (laughs) Now, there are lots of podcasts out there that would be just this, just the two of them talking for an hour on some topic. But the problem is that for every bit like this that works, there's four or five that don't. And also, that would not be playing to our unfair advantage. That is not the kind of podcast that we create. Hello, hello. 
Hello, hello, hello. And to help explain the kind of podcast that we do create here, I'd like to invite a very special guest host, Caitlin Kenny. Hello. Hi. Caitlin, you work at Gimlet now, but you and I have a long prior working relationship. Yes. I was one of the first employees of Planet Money. I'd like to say that I made a career out of turning your and Adam Davidson's crazy ideas into something fun that people actually want to listen to. And basically, you played the same role here that you played there, which is you are the person that makes everything run. And when you go on vacation, everything falls apart. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. Technically, my title here is head of new show development, which means I get new shows that we're going to launch here at Gimlet from the point where they're just an idea, a spark of what could be, to something you're actually sitting at home and listening to inside your headphones. And so basically, when they came to us with this idea, you were the person whose job it was to try to will it into being. It's the first step. The first thing we had to do is come up with a list of topics, stuff that sound really dry and boring when you just hear the word or the name of the thing, but that actually turn out to be really interesting. So we started with a list that we were just passing back and forth. And I remember seeing some of the like some early contenders there was like on there, there was like salad, broccoli, mold, comptrollers, comptrollers. That was a personal favorite (laughs) of mine. The band Chumbawamba. The band Chumbawamba models. Yeah. Like actual attractive people. So then... Basically, you narrow it down, you figure out which ones will work, and let's just focus on one that you chose, mold. Right. So the first thing is, you got to figure out, mold seems boring, but is it actually interesting? Right. Is there actually anything interesting to say about it? And so we had to read a ton of books about mold. We called a bunch of people who are experts about it, people who are experts in all kinds of mold. And then, you know, talking to them and thinking about things over, we realized, oh, wait, there's definitely enough stuff here. Right. I remember you coming into work with like stacks of books about mold. There was one like carpet spores and what is killer it? Killer carpet monsters and killer spores, magical right. mushrooms and mischievous molds. Also another classic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you figure out what's interesting about mold. And then the next step is to what we say in the business, we have to gather the tape. Right. And that means actually going and talking to the really smart people who are experts in this stuff and getting them to tell you the things that you've learned in your research. So in each drawer... There's a little frozen chunk in there, and you can, it's dehydrated, and it holds the spores in stasis. Oh, wow. So that's mold. Hey. Green Hi, mold. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. It's both cool and kind of gross. Oh, it's not gross. It's not gross. <laughs> it's just cool. So this is Adam Davidson and I talking to Shannon Belts. She's a technician at a USDA lab in New Orleans. And we went there because this is a place full of mold experts, people who love mold and know everything about it. And the reason they're studying mold here is that certain types of mold, if they get into our food, can make you really sick. They can actually kill you. And so the scientists working in this building, you can sort of think of them as the mold police working on the front lines, trying to protect the rest of us from being exposed to this bad mold that's out there. And... You and I have done this job for quite a while, and the problem is that you get really excited about something, and you go out and you talk to the expert, and then the expert talks the way experts do. They talk in jargon. They get really deep into the weeds. They resent your attempts to oversimplify. They don't trust you. This is their job, after all. You're just dropping in for an afternoon. And so a lot of the interview can sound like this. The hyphae from these fungi, they're always commingling and coming together, and, and whenever they fuse, it's called anastomosis. And when they anastomose genetic material can be exchanged. This is Jeremy Moore, a molecular biologist at the USDA lab. And I just have to say, the thing that he's talking about here, he's talking about fungal sex. One of Jeremy's claims to fame is that he is one of the scientists who helped discover that this type of fungi can exchange genetic material with each other, which is basically fungal sex. But as you hear, he doesn't like to say fungal sex. He calls it 
anastomosis. And this is something that we deal with all the time. Jargon, technically more accurate, much harder to understand as a regular lay listener. Not as good on the radio. Nope. All right, so the next step is you go out, you do this interview, and then you come back and you listen through and you select the best parts, parts that feel like there's something real, there's some live emotion to them. And then... And then you basically have all these pieces from your interviews and you have to figure out how to connect them, how to connect all the ideas to say something larger, something really interesting that people are going to be able to follow. Basically, you have to figure out what the hosts are going to say in between these moments from your interviews. Right. Palabolus. No, but the other one. Okay. I, I, I can't find this. Oh, here. So in the case of this podcast, that meant Adam Davidson and I came up with a rough script that we then performed for McKay. And as Adam Davidson is telling him what we learned, I'm directing him. Some scientists would say, yeah, that's mold. Some would say it's not. It's not a precise definition. Gotcha. Is that good? Yeah. Do one more version and just say, just say, you know, um, so there's a lot we don't know about molds. So some of the things I'm going to talk to you about are about the fungus kingdom in general. But molds so just to give you this mental picture, we're sitting in this living room of this house McKay was renting. I've got my headphones on and I have this computer and I'm playing clips of tape from the interviews that we've done earlier in the day and yesterday. Davidson's sitting on a couch next to McKay. He's also got a microphone and headphones on. And we basically just have this rough plan of what he's going to say to McKay, but not the exact words. And that is something that we did somewhat deliberately. This podcast right here, I'm reading these words more or less from a script that I've written. And that's one way that we do things a lot. We will actually script out what we're going to say, and then we'll say it. But Adam Davidson wanted his podcast to sound a, a little bit different. And he and I sat in the studio and talked about why. You and I together ran Planet Money, as yes. you may remember. I do remember. <laughs> you do remember. We sat right next to each other. I was the guy who talked very loudly on the phone right next to you. I remember that. Like, you and I, when we did the giant pool of money or when we would do Planet Money, like, you and I would write scripts. This whole interaction is scripted right, right. now. We're reading right from pa- pieces of paper It's right a now. very bad script, I have to say. Like, now that I'm reading it, it's – so I just think that, that to me – like, I, I started getting excited about having a podcast that was kind of a – Somewhat of a middle ground. I mean, Mystery Show or This American Life or Radio Lab, like, which I love all of those, are, you know, so beautifully produced and written and structured that, like, there's just not a second that hasn't isn't there deliberately. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I love that as a listener, but I also like things that are that are looser sometimes. And, and I felt like I wanted this, the aesthetics of this to be a bit looser, to feel like. There's a little feeling of chaos, a little feeling of like stumbling and a little feeling of like spontaneity and and accidental passion and all that stuff. But I also wanted it to be like good and like worth 20 minutes or whatever it is of a listener's time. So that's the balance I'm trying to strike here. We need to get the information across. We need to teach people something. But we also have to allow for those fun, spontaneous moments. So this is us recording an introduction to the episode, basically trying to explain, you know, what this show is and what it's going to sound like. And at this point, we'd already tried this a couple times. We tried a few different ways of explaining the show, but I wanted them to do it just one more time. And when we did, this funny exchange happened. <laughs> Start by telling me both who you are and what you do for a living. Okay. I'm Adam Davidson. I am Adam McKay. This is a podcast where you and I try and convince each other that something that seems like it might be really boring is actually really awesome. That was well said. That's it. And we want you to know that even though that's the format, if it's boring, we're going to end by saying it's still boring. 
we're not going to like manufacture excited outcomes. So there's a real risk here. Yeah. You know, there's no risk. Like we, we edit the tape. We're going to record like an hour. We're going to, even if it is boring, we're going to take like 12 minutes and make it seem. So even if my voice is disinterested, you'll just pitch me up in post and I'll say like, oh, that wasn't that great. I'll be like, that was great. <laughs> yeah, we can uh, do that. All right. Okay. So it's going to end with one of us thinking it's awesome yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. We left that in the final cut. It was funny. All right. So you've interviewed the experts. You've selected the best moments. You've recorded the hosts talking everything through. It's all loaded into a computer program called Pro Tools, which is on your laptop. What is next? Loneliness and late nights. The next step is you come back to the office and you basically sit in a dark room for two days and you just try to cut it all together. You try to take all the bits that work the best and cut out all the parts where Adam Davidson stumbles, all the jokes that didn't work, lay it all up the way you want it to sound. And then once that's been done, you get to the next step. The next step is the edit, which we'll talk about after these words from our sponsor. And by the way, as long as we're revealing secrets here, the thing I say leading into the ad break, it's called the forward promote. And the idea of the forward promote is that you say something provocative to make people stick around through the advertisements that they're about to hear. And I know that I just said for my forward promote, the next step is the edit. Not the sexiest forward promote in the world. But trust me, edits, there is a lot of drama there. There are actually feelings on the line. It's the scariest part of the entire process. It brings people to tears. And also, in my opinion, it is the most important part. So stick around. It'll be worth it. That was better, right? Welcome back to Startup, the podcast about what it's really like to start a business. And this episode is about what it's really like to start a podcast, to launch one from concept to final product. And we've arrived at arguably the most important step, the edit. Check, check, check. One, two, one, two, one, two. Okay. Are you ready? So to set the scene, there's a bunch of us gathered around in the studio inside Gimlet headquarters. It's the studio that Matt Lieber built with his bare hands back in season one. It's a small room. There's three mics, soundproofing on the walls, rickety corner table, industrial carpet, and actually six people crammed into the space. So some of us are sitting on the floor. You forgot about the moths. That, that's correct. There's also a moth infestation, um, which we had recently fumigated, so it smells sort of funky in here. And we're all about to listen to a first draft of another episode of the Davidson McKay podcast, an episode about the band Chumbawamba. And this is an episode, Caitlin, that you put together along with another producer here, Jesse Rudoy. How are you feeling at this moment? Petrified. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I mean, this is literally like the ultimate judgment. <laughs> You're sitting in the room and you know that everyone is just about to weigh in on what you've made and say what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And you're just kind of praying for any moment of positive reaction, like the hint of a smile or the hint of a laugh or anything that makes you feel like the thing that you've just spent hours putting together in a dark and lonely place isn't pure crap. It's really hard to get across, I think, for people who haven't been through it, like how utterly exposed you feel when you're doing this. And like the story I always go back to is when I was first getting into journalism, one of my very first assignments was writing these little travel blurbs for the Rand McNally Atlas. It were like just like these little 150 word little blurbs that were going on random pages throughout the Atlas about like different places all over America. And I'd spent, you know, weeks researching and writing and I'd sort of like crafted them and honed them and it was time to turn them in. And before I was even turning them into Rand McNally, I ran them by a friend of mine who was like a writer and had more experience than I did. And 
I don't know, I can't explain it, but like just the moment of like when I showed it to him and he took his red pen out, I just got so petrified and embarrassed and I started crying. I literally broke down in tears. I've been in so many edits, but it doesn't matter who's editing you. It's it's just rough. So that's the scene, right? We're all sitting there in this little studio together. And then one of our producers, Jesse, presses the play button and we're off. And a quick note here, when we recorded this, we were calling the show by its working title, Awesome Boring. Welcome to Awesome Boring. I'm Adam McKay. And I'm Adam Davidson. Now, I'm going to stop things right there at exactly 5.4 seconds into the story. And at this point, almost everyone in the room is writing notes furiously, either by hand in notebooks or typing into laptops. And what we're trying to note is what is working in the story and what is not working. And the thought I was jotting down at this moment, five seconds in, is that I'm not entirely sure this theme music is working. I'd like to hear some other options. This is the podcast where we take a subject that seems very boring, very lame, and we try and make it awesome. We try and reveal its internal awesomeness that has been hidden and locked away behind a kernel of boring. All right, stopping again. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, that was a pretty good, efficient setup. The listener now knows what the show's about. We're off to a good start. And to simulate the experience of what's going on in our heads as we're listening, us jotting down notes and stuff, I'm going to occasionally narrate the thoughts I was having as we're listening to this next couple minutes. And probably what we'll do is we'll throw some sort of effect on my voice so that it sounds sort of like echoey and like in my own head so that you'll know this is what I'm thinking. It'll sound sort of like this. Okay, let's get back to it. That's it. And uh, today's subject, which you do not know, is that correct? I do not know. I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to say today's subject is... That took way too long. It took way too long to get to the chorus of this song. Also, it's been going on for a while. Someone should start talking again soon. Where is everybody? What's going on? Why is this song still playing? So yes, that is our topic. Tub thumping by the band Chumbawamba. Reactions, please. Okay. Um, All right, so initial reaction is... I mean, I obviously remember that. I think everyone remembers that song. It's... I don't know. It's just like a poppy... It's a fun song from... This reaction from Adam Davidson, what is happening here? It's taking forever. Also, it's sort of a buzzkill. He doesn't sound excited at all. I think we should shorten it. In fact, I think we should probably cut everything that came up until this point right here. It's, I enjoy listening to it. So you're pleasantly bored. I'm pleasantly bored. Exactly. <laughs> I am pleasantly bored. All right. So here we are two minutes into the story. You've heard my thoughts. <laughs> Were you thinking the same things? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I actually at that moment wrote down in my notebook, pleasantly bored, and put like a little box around it. I'll often do like exclamation points or stars when I hear things I like. I have a tendency to make big X's when I hear things I want to kill. All right, so now we're going to do something that is, I'll be honest, a little bit terrifying for me. We're going to play the next three and a half minutes of this episode straight through without echoey commentary from me without anything. Terrifying for you? It's scarier for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's scary because normally we would never reveal these three and a half minutes to the public for the simple reason that they're not very good yet. And that, of course, is the point of this edit. If I have anything close to a core philosophy, it is this. The first draft always sucks. Things want to be bad talented people with great ideas still produce horrible stuff. And the only way to get that stuff to be good is with editing. 
So as you listen to this next three and a half minutes, try to listen as an editor would. As we were all listening in our handmade studio, sitting on the carpet, typing notes into our laptops. Pay attention to where you're confused, where you're annoyed, where you're bored. I would say that a big part of editing is paying attention to your own boredom. All right. I'll meet you on the other side. It was one of those songs that started off really popular, catchy, and by the end it was played so much that people started hating it and making fun of it. Everyone viewed it as very fluffy and poppy. So about two or three years ago, this band breaks up, and I tweeted about their breakup and said I'm really sad, and people thought I was kidding. But I really was. This is really one of the most interesting bands, and the song Tub Thumping is a really important song that signaled the end of an era, an era dominated by unions and the working class and opportunity for all that changed. And this song is a sad uh, acknowledgement of that time past and also a victorious vow for the future that the working class will rise again. And I'm not kidding with what I just said. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm I'm open. I am open. Well, you know, we could talk about what the song means to me. We could talk about what you think the song means. But let's talk to one of the founding members of Chumbawamba. This is Boff Wally. My name's Boff, Boff Wally. And um, um, I do lots of things to do with music, arts, theater, activism, politics, land rights, lots of other things. But having said that, most people would go, oh, he's that bloke that, that wrote that song about getting knocked over and getting up again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, you know, I don't mind that either. One of the reasons we, we came together as a band was because we, we found a huge, old, empty Victorian house that was falling down. And uh, and we thought, let's take it over. So it was about two or three of us went in and moved in. And then over the next year, we just gathered these people that had, you know that needed somewhere to stay. And, and usually when they moved in, because they moved in because we were friends with them, and we'd say, do you fancy being in this band? We don't really know. You don't... You know, you don't have to, you know, be able to play an instrument and everything. We've just got this idea for a band. What do you think? Do you want to get involved? And that's how the how's how the band built up. We were very, we just had such a laugh. We had a real laugh. We go to gigs all the time. We we played jokes on each other all the time and made the best of it basically. And we didn't pay rent, so it was great. I'm the boss of the factory. I'm in charge of the UKC. TVM. Now, faced with a loss of 20,000 jobs in the next year, will the miners be driven into a nationwide strike? Scottish miners. The, the, the coal miners' strike was really was was uh, in 1984, uh, which lasted a year. Was was really influential because basically most of the members of Chumbawamba grew up in in very sort of working class uh, areas, and uh, when we were sort of round about 16, 17, people left left home and left that that sort of working class culture and went to went to college and so when the minor strike came along it was a, it was a wake up call that, that that said to us look this is where you where you came from these are this is your your heritage and your family and your history we thought that even though we've run away from that culture that we belong to it and and we're not going to sort of try and disown it we have to we have to stand up and sort of be part of that so you have this strike going on. It's one of the biggest labor strikes in British history. And our band, Chumbawamba, was right in the middle of it. To get a sense of this massive collision of powers, we talked to Jonathan Schneer, who's a professor of British history at Georgia Tech. When Thatcher was elected... Okay, I'm stopping it there before I lose any more of you. Now, I'm not sure what you thought of what you just heard. Maybe you thought, eh, actually, it wasn't that bad. I was expecting worse. 
Maybe you turned it off and you're no longer listening and I'm talking to no one. But I'm willing to bet that most of you kind of checked out, lost the thread of the story. When Margaret Thatcher came up, you weren't really sure why. We, of course, don't want people having those feelings listening to our podcast. We want people to be curious and focused and pay attention, not bored and drifty. And most important, we want people to have a reason to listen. The podcast, it needs to be creating a question in the minds of listeners, maybe a question that they didn't know they had, and then it needs to be answering those questions. The main problem with this draft, we hadn't given anyone a reason to listen. Anyway, that's what I was thinking as we were sort of midway through this podcast. But then around minute 10... I heard something that I thought could serve as a reason to listen. It happened when McKay started to interview a music critic, Fraser McAlpine, who knew a lot about the band Chumbawamba. Well, the, the thing that's, that's really interesting about them is they, they came out of a scene in which bands do not make melodic pop music at all. They came out of uh, low-rent punk rock. They came out of uh, a kind of squat punk scene, which is bands that live in houses that they, they occupy without paying for rent. And they get together and they jam and they they, they, they come out of a really, really it's like fanzine culture, homemade music. And it's not a scene that was that was known predominantly for enormously melodic songs. When I heard that at minute 10, I thought to myself, oh, that's the idea that needs to be up at the top of the story. That's the idea that will get people to care about it. This band that everyone thinks of as a one-hit wonder from the 90s were actually a bunch of anarchist punk rockers known for making really loud music with no melody whatsoever. And this song that everybody thinks of as pure pop fluff was actually this political anthem about the plight of the working man. And apparently that story has something to do with Margaret Thatcher. And just to be clear, I have to jump in and say that, Alex, we knew this story. And we knew that was the interesting thing here. When McKay first pitched this idea to me, and it was his idea, he said, like, oh, you know, that band Chumbawamba? And I was like, yeah, tub thumping. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, they're actually super politically active and involved. And they have this fascinating backstory. It's just that when you're doing this and when you're making something, you have so much information in your head and so many things that people have told you that sometimes you you just get lost. You lose the thread. You forget to tell people what they're hearing and why and reminding them where you're taking them. And that's why edits are so important. It gives you this outside perspective that makes you realize, oh, wait, I didn't say this thing that I needed to say. So back in the studio that night, we finally came to the end of this first draft about 35 minutes in. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what? Hearing that is so hard because I, I just remember when I was over thinking like, oh, he likes it. And then I can so tell listening back to it by the tone of your voice, they are just like, oh, there's a lot of work to do here. <laughs> Another rule of editing, always say it's good right at the end, <laughs> no matter what you think, because you don't want to make people feel horrible. All right. But what I was really thinking, as you can tell by my tone of voice, is that, like, this piece is a pretty big mess. It's not the worst I've ever seen. In fact, it's a pretty standard-sized mess. They always look like this in the beginning. But the tricky part with edits is not to tell what's not working, but how to fix it. You know, you can sort of tell, like, oh, I don't like this, but I don't know why I don't like it. Or I don't certainly don't know how to make it better. And just one example from this episode was the part of the story where... McKay talks about the minor strike in, in, in England. The minor strike was confusing in this draft, and everyone felt that it was confusing. Nobody quite knew what it was doing there. But the question was, how do we fix it? And one of our producers, Jesse, thought it just went on too long. It feels like one of these things that we, have, we can either dive into and, and have the listener sort of come out with an understanding, or we just need like 10 seconds to summarize it really well. And like my ideal for... Th- 
having edited this for the minor section, was just like a really succinct summary. But Caitlin, you had been with McKay and Davidson when they'd gathered that tape, and you felt the opposite. We needed more minor strike, not less, because the minor strike was central to the story. And the thing that's interesting about the coal minor strike is like that's the moment where they were rejected by the punk music. That's when they started to be like, oh, punk is all about standing apart and not participating, and we want to participate. That, that I, that's, that's, that's what sort of like just made them turn towards a more populist that's type of music. Gal- yeah, that's what galvanized them. And that's when they started to be like, we want to participate. That, that idea is not there. Yeah. And like, I, we need to, I need yeah. Minor Strike not to be a summary. That's the voice of our senior editor, Peter Clowney. I yeah, needed yeah. to stand up and really be a moment. And, and I think, and I th- absolutely, I agree. And I think if you if you create the right context for the minors, if the minors, if the minor strike is sort of like, and then that yeah, uh, everything absolutely. everything was going this way until this happened yeah. and then you've got the minor strike and it's then you sort of turn. dive into the minor strike the minor strike is a turning point then you can actually dive into right. the details then you're more of like it. you're more invested you're, to you're, hear the story you want to yeah. hear why why did this minor strike change this band and take them out of, right. you know like then you're the, totally. again there's a question in your mind it's going to propel the next you know three minutes of this episode uh-huh. we talked for a good hour after listening to the draft and out of all these random seeming and sometimes contradictory suggestions more minor strike less minor strike a set of recommendations took shape. It's pretty clear what we need to do. Um, we need to turn this into sort of a story that has a beginning part and, and then a turning point, which is the minor strike, and then some third act that yet to be determined. So, like, let's let's do that right now, and then and then we can sort of like cut it together that way, and then figure out like what what retracking, what retracking we need. Sound sound good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That edit took three hours, and it was just the first one. After that, there will be another one. And probably another one after that. And maybe even another one after that one. And this process, it might seem, frankly, crazy. There are lots of podcasts out there, popular podcasts, podcasts that I personally love, where they don't do anything close to this, where two people walk into a studio, turn on mics, talk for an hour, then press upload. The podcast takes roughly as long to produce as it does to listen to. Our podcasts, on the other hand, take months to produce. And let's not talk about the expense involved. We're paying salaries and benefits for all six people in that little room. The podcast we produce might literally be a hundred times more expensive than the vast majority of podcasts made today. So why do we do it this way? The data suggests it's actually good business. There are almost 300,000 podcasts out there, and the vast majority of them, well over 95% probably, have either never been listened to at all or have audiences in the hundreds. But then there's this elite level, podcasts with audiences in the millions, or at least high hundreds of thousands. Think TED Radio Hour, Radiolab, This American Life. And almost all the podcasts at this elite level of audience are podcasts that take the same obsessive and edit-heavy approach that we do. In fact, This American Life, the number one podcast on the iTunes charts, is where I learned this approach. Serial and Invisibilia, the two most popular podcasts in history, each racking up over 5 million downloads per episode, they also take this approach. And our podcasts, they're not setting download records, but they're also way up there. All three, Reply All, Mystery Show, and Startup, they have audiences around a half a million. So that's why we do it this way. It seems to work. After that edit in the studio, Jesse and I went back and made a bunch of changes and came up with a second draft, a better version, which I'm going to play for you. 
And note, this is still far from done. For one thing, you'll hear our producer, Jesse, reading a bunch of lines in the new script we came up with. Ultimately, we'll need to get McKay to go back and record them. But for right now, you're going to hear some Jesse and some McKay. We call this dummy narration. And it might be jarring to go back and forth between the two of them. But try, again, to listen as an editor. Do you feel less confused than you did before? Less prone to drift? Does it make more sense now what the story's about? All right. Here's our second crack at the same section we played before. Again, the first voice you're going to hear is Jesse's Pretend It's McKay. Well, what if I told you that Tub Thumping, this song that everyone remembers as a feel-good bubblegum pop tune, was actually the work of an anarchist collective, and it was part of their deliberate 30-year strategy to empower the working class and to challenge the status quo. And I'm not kidding with what I just said. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm I'm open. I'm open. All right. So the first thing that we have to clear up about Chumbawamba is that they're not this 90s one-hit wonder that everyone mistakenly remembers them as. They actually have way more in common with the Sex Pistols than they do with Hanson or Vanilla Ice or other acts they're associated with now. Chumbawamba started all the way back in 1982 as a punk band in the north of England, and this is what they sounded like back then. One of the reasons we, we came together as a band was because we, we found a huge, old, empty Victorian house. This is Bath Wally, one of the founding members of Chumbawamba. And we thought, let's take it over. So it was about two or three of us went in and moved in. And then over the next year, we just gathered these people that had, you know that needed somewhere to stay. And, and usually when they moved in, because they moved in because we were friends with them, and we'd say, do you fancy being in this band? We don't really know. You don't. You know, you don't have to, you know, be able to play an instrument and everything. We've just got this idea for a band. What do you think? Do you want to get involved? Everything that we did was based on that anarchist principle of everybody has a equal say, equal pay. We all get, we all get treated the same. We've all got an equal amount of um, um, participation in this 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 idea. And we just made we, we made made the best of it basically. And we didn't pay rent, so it was great. They, they came out of a scene in which bands do not make melodic pop music at all. So uh, this is Fraser McAlpine. He uh, reviews albums for the BBC and is very familiar with Chumbawamba. They came out of a really, really it's like fanzine culture, homemade music. It's similar to DC punk and, and uh, you know the LA punk scene as well, that sort of thing. It was all about attitude, but not necessarily about being able to make music work. So that's what our band Chumbawamba was up to in the early 80s. Having fun, playing shows, making noise. Writing a global hit like Tub Thumping was the furthest thing from their minds at that time. But then this happens. Good morning, you're watching TVAM. Now faced with the loss of 20,000 jobs in the next year, will the miners be driven into a nationwide strike? It's better, right? Still not done, though. There's a bunch more steps. Probably another edit or two, some mixing. We have to get another recording session with McKay, of course, to replace the lines that Jesse read. And I have a confession. For all of the laboring and reworking and fussing and the late nights and finding the right music, I 
love this. <laughs> I love reworking lines in the studio with my colleagues. I love taking something that isn't working and making it into something that does work. Some of my fondest memories are doing that, that feeling when something that starts out rough becomes refined. It's just a great feeling. Maybe that's my unfair advantage. I actually like this process. But what's scary, sometimes you can take this approach, spend all this time and money, and produce something that still sucks, that hasn't improved on your first draft at all. Something that you would have been better off just sticking two hosts in a studio and turning on the mic for an hour. That's the other bet that we're making here at Gimlet. That what we end up producing justifies all the fuss we make over it. The Chumbawamba episode won't be up for another couple weeks. We're still fussing over it. But there are other episodes up there right now, ready and waiting. The episode on mold and the episode on free throws. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are distributed and subscribe. Oh, and you'll need the name. Ah, the name. Are you ready? The name is Surprisingly Awesome. Surprisingly Awesome, revealing the hidden awesomeness in everyday things. The new podcast from Gimlet Media. Sounds good when you say it. Yeah, but it's not as much fun as true shark attack stories. Startup was produced this week by Caitlin Kenny, Eric Mennel, and Jesse Rudoy. Editing from Peter Clowney, Adam Davidson, and Lisa Chow. The show was mixed by Crystal Duhame. Music by John Kimbrough and the band HotMoms.gov. How I love saying your name. Our website, where you can learn about all of our shows, Startup, Reply All, Mystery Show, and now, surprisingly awesome, is GimletMedia.com. We tweet at Podcast Startup. I'm at Abex Lumberg. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening. What you see with uh, the male bull shark, they grow to a length of 9 to 12 feet. They have the highest testosterone levels on the planet. Reunion Island, the channels, the beaches, they're crawling with bull sharks right now. Little Danny Tilton simply wanted to go on his boogie board. His mother told him, no, it was a hot day. You know how it is. It's hard for a child to resist the waves, the cold water. He went in. I'll give you the upshot. Danny survived. His mother did not. (laughs) 